0: Welcome to the Craft Beer and Brewing Podcast. I'm your host, co-founder and editorial director of Craft Beer and Brewing Magazine, Jamie Bogner. Uh, my guest is a favorite of ours today here on Craft Beer and <laughs> Brewing, a uh, a brewer that we respect, but also a contributor uh, this past year to uh, both Craft Beer and Brewing Magazine and our Brewing Industry Guide, Adam Robbings of uh, Rubens Brews. Welcome back to the podcast, Adam. Hi, thanks for having me, Jamie. <laughs> you uh, you wrote a fantastic story for the brewing industry guide on running into the storm, managing a brewing business you know through the pandemic, um, you know, and, and shared a lot of your strategies around that. Uh, it was really interesting, fantastic read. Uh, we can talk a little bit about that at the end of the podcast. You also uh, you wrote a brewer's perspective uh, for us on brewing triple crush uh, triple IPA. Yeah, I want to talk a little bit about um, you know triple IPAs through the course of this. Sure thing. Um, we're going to talk about some of the other uh, the brewing stuff. We're not going to talk about Goza because there's a whole other episode uh, <laughs> on Goza, actually episode number four of the podcast.
1: Um, it seems like yesterday, though. It really does. Before
0: we uh, <laughs> before we get started, nearly two thousand breweries across the U.S., Canada, Mexico partner with GND Chillers. Innovative modular designs, and no proprietary parts, propel GND ahead as the premier choice for your glycol chilling needs. Breweries you recognize like Russian River and Inkasi, Jack's Abbey, Samuel Adams, and a bunch more brewers you've heard on this very podcast, all trust g to chill the beer you love. Call GD Chillers to discuss your project today or reach out directly at GDchillers.com. Also, this episode is brought to you by RAR North Star Pills, a new base malt to set your compass by. RAR North Star Pills is crafted for brewers looking for a domestic Pilsner malt with low color and low modification. North Star Pills carries overtones of honey and sweet bread, supported by flavors and aromas of hay and nutty character, suitable for any beer style, but particularly craft brewed versions of classic lagers. Let RAR North Star Pills guide your craft by visiting bsgcraftbrewing.com or contact them at 1 800 374 273 nine uh as always thanks to G D and bsg for their extensive support of this pod- podcast over the past couple of years along with old orchard they are all returning for uh, full year sponsorships next year helping us bring you guys these uh, great conversations with influential and inspiring brewers um it was a crazy thing but the podcast uh, sponsorship for 2021 sold out back in uh in uh, october and, uh, you know, I'll tell you, this is year three for, B- for GND as a full year sponsor, year three for BSG sponsoring, and year two for Old Orchard. So it means a lot for us to see folks coming back and continuing to support uh, the podcast year after year. So, yeah, thanks to all of those folks. They make great products, as you've heard from brewers on this podcast talking about those products themselves. Um, you know, and so it's great to have fantastic companies supporting what we do. Anyway, uh, I digress. So Adam, uh, <laughs> it's been a weird year. Um, you know, certainly a year of, uh, different challenges and, uh, um, i mean and that's putting it lightly you know from uh health issues with staff to you know broader um you know cultural and social issues that have gripped the country to uh you know you know certainly um you know changing dynamics within the beer industry itself uh how are how are you guys? Managing through this right now, I don't feel like I need to, you know, start with our typical arc of history because there's a whole other episode people can listen to and get that <laughs> out. Of. But let's just, uh, you know, let's start from, um, you know, from March of uh, of 2020. What's uh, what has this year been looking like
1: for you? Yeah, it's, it's um, certainly a roller coaster, right? Um, we we watched on uh, TV last night, my wife and I, the uh, the this. Um, show about the history of the year, right? The year in review, but it was more of a comedy. And it's like, wow, a lot of the Netflix Netflix show. We watched (laughs) that the other night. I know exactly what you're talking about. It's it's hilarious, but it does make, to think that the Australian wildfires were this year, it's like, wow, that seems like lifetime ago, literally. Um, Yeah, so you know, being from the UK um, originally, when when this was kicking off um, in Italy, I was um, paying more attention than most, um, just because it was a bit close to uh, my original home, right? Right. And um, yeah, so so um, just we we a week before the shutdown happened here, we already had our plan uh, of what will happen because it's going to be it was going to be coming. But wow, right. it it was um, a, a crazy crazy thing to happen. But you know, this is a good test of of your strategy, for want of another word, um, like the path that you're on. I mean, if you're on the right path, you should be able to continue and lean into that through adversity, which is what certainly what we had this year.
0: You know, and for you, some of that is mitigated. You know, there are your business has multiple avenues of, of selling beer. There are taproom avenues there is a production avenue, you know, and there's certainly that packaged beer, you are moving beer out into broader, you know, you know, kind of retail places. And so uh, um, you have a, you know, a couple of different, uh, you know, pillars to, you know, to uh, stand on through that kind of thing.
1: Yeah, there's, For- um, you know, there's the, the, the sort of strength in diversity model of, of your of your um, routes to market, right? That's, that's kind of what what we had and and that's something that's been in the back of my mind in terms of of the that strength it, and it's a defensive safety right um um but we've generally been pulled in that direction rather than pushed in any direction in in the business as a whole so um yeah we could have opened up more tap rooms but honestly we've been struggling to keep up with the wholesale demand since then but when when this happened, we were fortunate because we had our own canning line. We had, um, like you said, the taproom business, the wholesale business, and we were in, in a couple of different states as well. So, so um, yeah, we did have some some um, diversification which which um, helped us in, in, in that position.
0: What was, uh, was, what was the biggest unexpected impact to the business? You know, you can certainly predict Taproom business, you know, taking a hit, and uh, you know, and that kind of impact from this COVID era of shutdown and whatnot. Were there any impacts to the business that you didn't expect, both either positive or negative?
1: What was interesting? So March sixteenth was when the the full sh- shutdown happened in Washington State. Um, what initially happened, I think, is we 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 obviously moved to uh, to go. Model from the, from the tap room perspective only, and so we had a load of beers that were going to be in draft that we had to get into cans. Um, but luckily, we had that opportunity uh, that 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 ability. Right, that was not not everybody had that ability. But when we moved into uh, a package on, only to go beer, we um, you know sold a lot of beer initially, um, and when we had the the crowler shortage, uh, that that literally. I didn't expect that, that every single brewery would put beer into Crowlers and then Crowlers would become a sh- shortage nationwide, right? And that was like your only way out almost. Um, um, so I was just kind of surprised that initially um, the the strength of to-go beer and Crowlers was really strong. Now, over time, that has whittled down um, and now we're about the same as where we would have been otherwise. But... Um, Right back in April, the strength of uh, to-go beer was was phenomenal. I think people were really supporting their local breweries, and um, and it was a really um, it was a nice sense of community, you know. And it has been all year, but in particular at that point, and that was surprising to me. Spinning
0: up um that kind of business, you know, for for breweries, I I've been remarkably impressed with the speed and the efficiency at which breweries were able to spin up e-commerce operations in order to facilitate no contact or low contact kind of you know pick up for those kinds of to-go sales um you know thinking about it breweries are typically not e-commerce businesses. They are not necessarily, you know, most of, do not have sophisticated systems for managing online sales against inventory and, you know, uh, tracking for, um, you know, pick and pull kind of, you know, uh, order processing. Um, This has been an incredibly crazy, fast learning experience, uh, you know, for breweries like yours. Figuring out how to even accommodate that kind of sale. Talk to me a little bit about uh, you know that kind of panic and uh, and change initially to, to make that happen. Um, I think it's an underappreciated thing from a consumer perspective to look at over the course of two weeks how breweries spun up e-commerce systems and had to become experts at this entire you know system of sales and uh, order processing. You
1: kind of cheat because it's not two weeks it actually is over a year (laughs) you know so so we had been doing some online pre-sales that go went back well over a year and so we actually had been using our uh, the online um system for some time and we did um a a barrel aged beer release um just before the shutdown but to avoid lines we did that on an online Basis is already so we we had already got some sort of feel for how that works. But when you when you said that that question, it just reminded me as um, luck well not luck not luckily but um, unfortunately we we lost like the tap room business right. So the tap room business was totally closed. And there's this one time I'll never forget when I came into the tap room and the whole space the whole physical space that's normally uh, people are, are sitting in was full of pallets of beer being picked by the team and it was like a, a crazy um sort of Willy Wonka chocolate factory type thing of people running around putting together these 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 packages for then uh, like a a, a line of like a production line but i think we were facilitated to do that because we we had lost a big chunk of the business and just so we had the people available and we also had uh, the physical space cuz the physical space is a big part for most brewery city breweries you know we we never have enough space um because the real estate costs are so high and so it's something that we're always always struggling with i mean we've i've built three breweries now and we have five buildings none of which is big enough but <laughs> it's just a patchwork quilt of of things that come up to that you make it work right sure Sure. Uh, let's pivot and uh,
0: start talking about brewing. Um, you know, from a brewing perspective, what changed this year? Yeah you know, what uh, what was the biggest impact of COVID either on how you brewed, how you um, what you brewed, and um, you know how did that impact
1: um, you know the overall brewing side of the business? I I I, I tell people that. Um... The year before we got our biggest fermenter which is 190 barrels and it had to be built in place um, because you couldn't physically stand it up in the brewery so it was built in two halves so they crane in one half and then they slide the bottom half under and then they they build it in place but possibly the most fun part of that week was getting the two seven barrel fermenters in the other brewery (laughs) because that gives us more options for diversity and um and so so this year we we um um, when you're when you're a, a small brewery like re- R&D so new batches is is a big part of what we do right it's a big part of our ethos it's one of our four pillars breadth and and we actually brewed 180 different beers this year and released 180 different beers but what's the crazy That's thing ridiculous, is, Adam. It, it, it is That's ridiculous, ridiculous. Adam <laughs> it is ridiculous it is ridiculous but we can only do that because we've got three different brew houses so we can size batches appropriately. But most of those beers would normally be through, uh, the tap room in draft sales or small batches that go out to some, some, um, certain accounts, right? That like, um, basically draft sales. Um, but most small breweries didn't, don't have that option anymore, right? That the on-premise is what has been shut down this year. So, um, our R and D has had to be the, the, the option that the route to selling that has been like fundamentally changed. Um, So what's happened uh, for us is that we've then had to put a lot of that into uh, cans. So I think the latest number I saw was that we've released 110 different cans, can releases this year, which is um, largely because that's the only way of letting people try the beer right you know the primary way of letting people try the beer whereas in the past uh, a few cakes in 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 draft is is um, one thing so what we've had this year in particular is an issue where we have three different brew houses and one canning line and getting the beer sized appropriately and then packaged means a lot of a lot of moving it from building to building you know so that's like a practical element but
0: why why maintain that kind of absurd schedule for new <laughs> new beer production? You know, I, I mean, across the board, most breweries um, definitely scaled back that innovation approach, um, and understandably so for the same kind of logistical reasons that you um, you know, mentioned that the avenues for people for consumers to sample new beers were severely limited this year. Normally, you know, they can't go to a the tap room and you know order a tray of varying tasters in order to try everything Um, and you know be able to check in their 10 beers on untapped from one brewery visit which tends to be a you know a motivating factor this kind of exploration uh, element for consumers Um, being able to market and convince people to buy these small batches even creating a skew on your online stores for you know for people to buy it and pick it up from the brewery or, or or whatnot i mean becomes i mean that that's a a lot of work to put into something that's going to disappear um you know within a week um why maintain that kind of uh that kind of schedule through
1: this year well um as as brewers that variety is is a big part of the fun of what we do right so that's that's the first thing but um the the other thing is that uh one of our sort of core sort of pillars is um we call it glass backwards, so we go from from the end product backwards, right? And sp- and by that we mean that we're not encumbered by production efficiencies or production um, sort of uh, needs. Uh, we want to focus on the end result. So, um, sure, it would have been a lot easier to not have, um, you know, had the same amount of variety as we have had in the past it'd been a lot a lot easier but the customer you know our our our, people drinking the beer their their wants and desires haven't changed but they can't come now to the tap room and have that flight taste of flight of ten different beers right so how do we accommodate that so we thought and um and and we we believe that the the people drinking and enjoying the beer haven't changed they still want variety we've just got to figure out a way again giving it to them in a different way so whether that's through a crowler release or through having to do this crazy scheduling of packaging and and labels and stuff um, and that, 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 that we're really trying to focus on on what people want which um you could argue that desire for that kind of variety may have increased in in this time because of everything else going on that's one thing that they should be able to rely on from their local brewery is to give them these new uh flavor experiences and and, and concepts and a little bit of normality in in a crazy year that's what we were, that's what we were trying trying to <laughs> yeah, aim for yeah
0: and i i think you know i guess We shouldn't just talk about your customers as one customer because every brewery has many different kinds of customers um, who buy in different ways and have different motivating factors behind them. Let me ask you about that in a sec. But first, are, are you tired? of trial and error carbonation processes, then look at Quantaperm's innovative automated carbonation systems for precise carbonation. These systems handle wide flow ranges to accommodate all your beer, wine, soda, or cider styles. You can even carbonate and directly send the product to a packaging line without tankage. Besides carbonation, Quantaperm offers robust and economical systems for nitrogenation and water deoxygenation. All of their systems have an easy-to-use graphical user interface with reports and graphs that you can pull up on your mobile device. Visit quantaperm.com for more information. Also, ABS Commercial is excited to be a part of today's podcast. ABS is a full brewery outfitter offering brew houses, tanks, keg washers, and small parts. ABS wanted to do something fun for the craft beer industry and gave away an ABS keg Viking keg washer live this past December 7th congratulations to lazy horse brewing and winery in nebraska who are the new proud owners of a keg biking to make sure you're on the list for future giveaways go to www.abs-commercial.com click on the keg Viking page and fill out the contact form to stay in the know um, so from that perspective adam you know as we were just talking about uh you have consumers that engage with your product at a wholesale retail level, you know, grocery stores, liquor stores, et cetera. And you also have another kind of customer that loves to buy smaller batch experimental things directly from you at the brewery. Um, Did those things move in a similar direction or did they kind of move, you know, did different kinds of customer types (laughs) move in their own directions this year?
1: Yeah, no, that's a good good question. my th- first thought there is we we got asked a lot to do um rather rather than four packs just singles you know so people really wanted to get that experimental sort of ele- element and that that taster tray um experience out of, out of the tap room but uh, for for us logistically that just becomes so so hard um so on that end we did do a um we did a couple of things which were kind of interesting. One of them was a four pack um, that had four different beers in. We we usually do a rye beer festival every year. So we did a four pack that had four different rye beers in. Um, that was was fun and I think people appreciated that they could take some of the festival home with them even though it doesn't exist, right? So, um, and then on the other side, uh, we, we hear a lot about flagship strength and in grocery, um, uh, and that is is true so like our oldest our first i p a crikey the the oldest beer um that we've been packaging is um is uh is up fifty percent this year you know so um you are seeing this sort of two different um sort of customer bases almost um but people are people Some people are wanting to have something that they can relate to and it's it's like a nice a stable base for them and in in this time of of a lot of change and then other people are wanting that uh their their return to normal is going back to more of the festival approach or this uh, diversity of different beer experiences so um yeah you can't just label one customer there's there's a lot of different uh, different pieces but what what we do uh is um We've always looked at our tap room as a, as a trial area a, 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 area. So, um, it's almost like the feeder system for more of a, the major leagues, right? So, um, that's why we do so many beers because we can try and see what people like, what people don't like, where we need to tweak things, and then things can progress up, up the scale. So, whatever that that may be. So, like one example is our Hellas. So we uh, brewed brewed that um. Which we named after the car shop that our tap room was in originally, Wolfsburg, um, uh, Wolfsburg Motor Works. It was originally, and and so now we've got Wolfsburg Hellas. But um, so we've um, did a did a, a, a test batch of that in the tap room, and it sold out well. So we did another one and and darted in the recipe in a nice spot, and then um, you know all of our brewers that was their favourite beer. So so now we're doing occasional drops into. Um, into distribution, a lot bigger drops and just to see how how that does over time. So it's kind of like vindicates that model if you like.
0: Sure, sure. Uh, another big trend this year were high gravity beers. You know, we've watched that, uh, you know, consumers, especially through the, you know, kind of shut down pan initial, you know, kind of mid March, April timeframe started buying efficiently, uh, you know, in terms of dollars spent uh, per point of uh, alcohol by volume. And, uh, you know, but if you look at, you know, IRI numbers and and that kind of thing, you know, you see that high gravity beers have been um, definitely on the rise this year. I mean, also, I mean, if you're stuck at home, you know, nobody's driving. And so, uh, um, you know, drinking higher gravity beers is is certainly more potential. Um, Did you see uh, uh, any kind of, um you know data around that in your sales or demand from consumers on the high gravity
1: side in terms of barrel aged beers we're seeing that variety um that 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 variety push being pushed into that so a lot of different variants are very very popular and people want almost um more more of the variants than the base beers necessarily which um which makes sense right as 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 that area sort of evolves over time um we've seen uh you've seen sort of kind of separation right so some some beers people are wanting to have lower abv and then on the other hand if they're going to have something higher abv they want to be high a lot higher so there's a no man's land now i think okay i think i think the abvs are kind of splitting and we certainly seen um a push towards west coast uh IPAs and in particular Imperial IPA, West Coast Imperial IPAs, people are asking for those a lot more. Um, and I don't know if that's the, in line with that flagship sort of push people wanting to go back to what we had in the past or, or whether it's that hazies, are uh, maybe, um, softening a little bit or people are just wanting to balance out the hazy with a with a west coast so um definitely seeing that I'm not sure the exact trend on that yet I need to Think about that some more. <laughs> Data is still inconclusive. Well, let's talk yeah. about some of those high high gravity beers that
0: you brew because I, I definitely want to talk about uh, you know Triple Crush for a little bit. Uh, but I also, <laughs> as you're talking about rye beer, uh, I somehow forgot in the lead intro to this podcast um, that Three Rise Men was one of our beers of the year for for craft yeah. beer during this past year. So let's also let's start by talking about Three Rise Men. Um, And of course, talking about, you know, variants, you made an apple brandy uh, variant of this year on your barrel aged stout. I think you sent us at least three or four different variants of of that one. Um, The kind of chocolate box series of of barrel aged beers, you sent multiple, you know, we've tasted multiple variants of those. And so, uh, you know, yes, my experience tasting your barrel aged beers across that range, uh, certainly echoes what you've said about that. Um, but let's, let's, I would say let's focus on, uh, on three Reisman because that's a beer clearly that, uh, resonated with us resonated with, you know, GAB, GABF judges last year. Um, yeah. you know, has, uh, has certainly made a mark on the, on the world of beer. Um, talk to me about, uh, you know, the kind of fundamental informative. uh, uh, years of that beer and how you have um, how you initially created the idea for it and then have continued to uh, to dial it and get it to be uh, what you're looking for.
1: Yeah, yeah. So this is a interesting one because it's a concept I had in my head that it took three years to get to actually brew it. Just um, just because we we just never it was right in between different breweries so i i had this this concept where we had no capacity to, to 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 brew it and then when we moved into the new brewery we were struggling to keep up again so it was just something i had in the the back of my head and and obviously now the way people like it i wish i got there a lot quicker <laughs> a lot sooner than that but um yeah so uh three rise men is is a, a barley wine uh british british style barley wine so it's um on the less bitter side, um, but the idea behind that was um, to use rye in in not an overt way, um, but really to meld it into the uh, profile of the beer, uh, being a barley wine itself. So, like that sort of like toffiness, that soft mouthfeel, that sort of um, fullness, uh, it, everything leads itself perfectly down the path to rye right um and when people say about rye like we were known it's kind of funny because when we first uh, opened we were known for rye beers and then we were known for dark beers and then we we're known for ipas so we we've we've been uh, and i've got like quotes from different articles about all of these different styles it's kind of funny but um the only theme there is, uh, we just like brewing different things, and it's like there's there's no real theme behind it. But one thing we have used, and I did use as a home brewer actually, I did use a lot of rye just to give another layer of complexity in in a malt profile. It's again, it's uh, it's about building layers into a beer rather than um, being like hit on the head with something very like extreme. So. So for something like three Rise men, we're going to use some some rye malt just to give some sort sort of spiciness into the into the malt profile that just adds some complexity. Um, I've always liked um, adds a lot,
0: you know, especially when you're talking about a beer style that can that has a sweetness to it already. Provides an additional element that helps balance against that. It's not just bitterness as a balance against that sweetness. There's also that little bit of herbal spiciness, you know, to it also.
1: Yeah, yeah, and maybe a little drying as well, you mm-hmm. know, that, in the finish. Because um, balance with all of these beers is, is key. And if if you try all of our beers, um, you're never going to get something that is. Extremely in in one direction because balance is like a key thing that we're always looking for. So whether it's the hazy IPA that we we talked about, there's still got to be um, enough more backbone to support that hot profile. And similarly with with uh, barley wine, you're going to need to have it finish in a dry um, in a in a dry enough way that just. Makes you want to have another sip not that it's just sickly sweet that's that's kind of where right. we're at but yeah so you got the rye, the 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 rye malt in the base and then and then caramelized rye which is something i i I particularly like and and we as a home brewer i want to middle at nhc for an american brown and the key part of that was caramelized rye. it just adds a a little bit of um maybe a, a little a little bit of that spiciness does come through but it maybe it's a little Licorice-y, um, but, but just a little little bit it's a little bit that if you're really looking for it it's like what is that um, but it's um, again just I can tell layers. you don't even you don't even want to put a
0: word onto it because once you put the word onto it then that word starts to dominate the way that people even perceive it um, yeah you know and so yeah. I you know I,
1: I can see that hesitancy you know to even identify it like that um, yeah, yeah yeah and and, um, and and it's hard to explain what it is it's it's like you know it when you've kind of attribute that flavor profile to that right so you know like i think i think it's around uh 60 lover bond i think caramelized rye so we would normally uh have like c60 being three quarters of normal cut c60 being like three quarters of that element of the malt profile and then a quarter being caramelized rye so and then um flake rye and three rye men so those are the three different types of rye right um and that works so well because it gives you that creaminess in the in the body, but then dries out as well. Um, so um, that is all within the boundaries of a normal barley wine style recipe. We we barrel age it for about um, ten months ish. Um, so there's an L, that that isn't a massive barrel like bourbon. Hit in the face. It's again another layer of complexity. So when we won it at, at GABF um, last year, that was uh, that was a year old um, three rise men that we actually put in the British barley wine category. So that barrel character was a nuance within the flavor profile, rather than being the leading uh, contributor. So it wasn't in a wooden barrel aged category then. No, no, no. Interesting.
0: No. Okay. It's, it's, yeah. From, um, you know, if we're talking about this, you know, grist build, um, what kind of, you know, base malt, uh, you know, are you using to build this from? And then, uh, you know, how much, in terms of, uh, you know, percentage is the, the rye malt character, you know, overall in the beer?
1: Yeah. So we use uh, like an ESB as, as the base. And that's going to be around probably 60% of the malt bill. And another. 15% is rye malt and then you got you got the specialty malt on top of that a little bit of light brown sugar to give it a little bit of that sort of molasses sort of caramelized element as well again um it comes back to where your terminal gravity is going to going to going to land so yeast health the the history that you've got with your yeast like how much it's going to eat through through the beer we we um in the in big beers like this Obviously, um, the yeast is going to struggle, so we give it some help. Um, it's the same thing with Triple Crush. So we know we when we designed Triple Crush, we designed it around an 8%. We know where our yeast can get to with an 8% IPA, so we used sugar to take it past that, essentially. Um, so similarly here.
0: So which, what you're saying is that you, know, you, what, do, you, a, uh, you do a multi stage fermentation then where it's malt fermentation and then you're adding some additional fermentables after that or you're just no just in here? the boil okay
1: yeah we we haven't fed yeast yet that's one of our okay. kind of projects um that we'd like to get to um but we we just take it with an initial initial hit and like this is this beer, so your yeast
0: doesn't get i mean one of the problems when you start doing it that way is that yeast loves to eat the easy stuff but then You know can certainly not want to then get into some of the you know more more difficult uh you know fermentables that might be there in the beer um how do you kind of manage through that challenge to to keep it functioning through uh through the entire fermentation
1: it's it's all about uh yeast health and and pitch rates and the experience you've got with your yeast right so um we've like this, this beer starts off at ten ninety four and ends up around ten twenty six, something like that. So it, um, and then goes into a barrel from there. The other thing, and I, and I, I, I know that you've talked about this in other podcasts, is about how the barrel, the ABV from the barrel that's sort of leached out, effectively dries out the beer, right? So you want to be aiming uh, for a terminal gravity post barrel not not post fermentation if that makes sense
0: yeah um you know in that sense from a perceptible level you know how does that impact those beers that you put into to barrels i mean 10 10 26 is a pretty high place to to go into a barrel and that's a pretty sweet beer um but you're right there's a, a drying effect from just residual alcohol so you know tannic kind of component you know from the oak that creates a perception of, of dryness even though it's not actually drying out the beer it's just providing again more of that foil and balance to uh to that sweetness um you know and of course that's that kind of sweetness is works with that kind of high alcohol content that uh, also has its its own drying effect um, but do you guys quantify that in some way or
1: um you can quantify it by the terminal gravity that goes, comes out of the barrel. So, essentially, the terminal gravity drops down over time uh, because it's um, essentially diluted by the alcohol within the barrel. Um, and uh, we've found that like, if you're going to go in at 1026, it's probably going to come out around 1020, something like that. Um, and again, it's, it's through none of this is an exact science. So what you've got to do is you've got to cover your bases, right? So we're now big enough um, to be able to do multiple batches of this beer. So we will try and do some a little higher uh, terminal gravity, some a little lower, and then be working on the blend that will eventually come out of all the barrels um, to hit us in the right spot. That means we've got a few barrels left over to play with, maybe um, some projects to to come up. Like this year, we got a couple of barrels of. Uh, three rise men that we're thinking about some projects to to put it in.
0: Yeah, we had a a great conversation with uh, Marty and Jim from Revolution, kind of, you know, along that lines. Um, They, you know, intentionally, it started as an accident, but then became intentional where they found that putting very high gravity beer for long amounts of time into barrels created a different barrel aging, you know, character and profile. Um, You know, so it sounds like you are, kind of playing a little bit on on that yeah. element uh doing some of the higher gravity gravity aging that can then be
1: blended into um, you know the overall mix it may only be one or two two year barrels that we put in but it's again it's it's about layers of complexity right so there's a theme to to my uh, sure. recipe sure. development but um uh yeah I, I mean in in our boom barrel imperial style our bebus releases we normally have one or two two-year-old barrels just to just to sort of it it adds an effervescence you know if you put too much in then it might dull it but again um uh one or two barrels does add complexity into the beer
0: and so you know speaking about time in a barrel um you know that longer aging tends to produce something that's you know smoother more round more integrated but lower amounts of time tend to produce something that's bigger brighter bolder um you know it's you can look at it you know the kind of bourbon or whiskey care you know corollary to it that uh shorter aged bourbons you know have a kind of brightness and a vitality to them where longer aged bourbons have a smoothness and a polish uh you know you know to them and so you know from your perspective looking at these kinds of barrel these uh ages and time periods for barrel uh barrel aging beer um you know how does that impact the way that uh, you even either, either blend or identify individual products or even categorize things you know based on
1: that kind of time and barrel um with us it's often about the uh the age of the barrel that matters so you it's not so much how long time because we we've got a nice process in place for the amount of time that our beer should be in a barrel, but it's a very different um character you get out of a five year old barrel um or or less than that if it's a, a not a true whiskey you know um to a twelve or fifteen year old barrel um which are fifteens are a lot harder to come by than they were a few years ago right but um so for us we've got to get between eight to twelve years that that. Ends that gives you a nice richness, um, and Thor in our team he works with a broker to get in um, a semi every year, and and our our friends. Uh, we work with some of our friends to like get the big bulk and then they can take a few barrels, uh, fr- from that delivery. Um, so it's nice to be able to do things like that now, but, um, you're co oping barrels yeah, with other, of, with of, other yeah, breweries yeah, around you yeah, in order to yeah. get a bigger order. And yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. But, um, yeah. So I, I think it's the, the barrel itself, but a lot of this, a lot of this is, um, uh, process based, right? So I'm sure you could counteract, um, you know, certain issues with, with, with the barrel quality. If you give the beer longer in time, it's like whack-a-mole, right? That, yeah. So if you, if you, um, want to give the beer longer in the barrel, it might not be as good. So you might need some, uh, younger barrels to do that with, but like we have our process in place and that's been working well for us so far. Uh,
0: now, uh, as an aside, you'd mentioned that, um, you'll choose categories to enter beers into, based on um the, even the age of the barrel because that age of the barrel that you've aged it in can impact the beer in, in different ways um from a competitive standpoint um talk to me a little bit about that kind of strategy
1: yeah so you know i when i am um, when i was a home brewer i am um, all of your friends uh, say your beer is great right because they're your friends, and you're giving them free beer, so it's going to be great. So, sure, so sure. I, I um, I kind of didn't trust my friends' feedback, so I wanted to get more competition feedback that is um, from people who have no vested interest in <laughs> saying it's any good. Um, so, from from right when I started brewing, I, I kind of focused on on competitions, and um, the the commercial competition frame, you know, judging framework is a lot different than even what the amateur was, just in terms of some definitions of different styles are different. Um, but also uh, there's a lot there's a, a lot of categories and subcategories. So it's it's a lot about the primary perception of a beer that is important. So what is what is um the difference between a British barley wine category versus a wooden barrel aged strong ale category? Well it's about what is the what is the first thing what is the primary flavor profile of that beer. Right. So um an example is uh, a one or two-year-old three rise men will fit well in and won at GABF um in the British barley wine category because the, at that point the barrel character had rounded into the beer and added a complexity to the beer, but the primary flavor component or the primary sort of descriptor of that beer was a British barley wine. But if you take that same beer and Take that two years off of it; it's then got a lot more barrel character that's up front. That becomes more of a primarily a, a barrel aged beer, and then then that version. So the 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 version that we literally released in December this year, um, that one at Fobab this year, because it was a lot more um, sort of in your face uh, barrel character because it was relatively younger. So that's that's the case with um, lots of Different categories. So, like, I thought, um, I thought three, I, um, three rise men might do equally well in a rye beer category at at GABF. So I put it in the rye beer category this year, and it didn't win. <laughs> so now I know, okay, British barley wine next year, right? So, so it's kind of interesting that when there's a whole there's a whole lot of game theory behind competitions. It's not just the best beer wins. Um, it's it's a lot about. What is the underlying character of that of of your beer, and how does it fit into this style framework? Because literally every beer we brew could fit into probably three different categories, and it's um, about that. And that's a nuance that has to be learned, and I'm I'm still learning it. You know, and we've been doing this for nine, eight, nine years. <laughs> so you, I, that's really fascinating, though,
0: that your beer after a year or two years in the bottle can even change the category that you might enter it into based on how it is aging and micro-oxidizing post-packaging for you. Yep.
1: Yep. Okay. That's weird, but, but (laughs) interesting and and kind of cool. Um, well, it it makes sense, right? That the beers round out over time. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and it makes sense that it might, might round out in that way. Um, and become a complexity point. Um, there, there was, there's, um, one thing, um, I heard that somebody, a, a brewery keeps some, some, some of its releases and only re- adds and um, puts them into competitions when they're three years old. And then that started making me think about, OK, so what's changing over time and how is that flavor component changing over time? And, and um, you know, how do, how do we learn from that?
0: You know, it does create interesting questions. I mean, these are certainly things that the wine world has long ago, you know, uh, come to grips with. And you often have wine producers with a certain vintage, not releasing that vintage out into the market until it has hit a point where they are they, the winery would like for you to drink it and that they are happy with what that wine has become, you know, certainly that potential is there in the brewing world, it is not been a thing just because most breweries are trying to get beer out the door um you know and sell it but you know i shouldn't say it's not a thing because that certainly is a thing in the lambic and goose world where those those beers are brewed they are put back they are aged they are refermented and sometimes it can be a year or two years you know depending on what it is before the brewery chooses to release that and it becomes the thing that they want you know to put out there in the world at that given that point that, and you know it is at a place where the brewer is happy and wants people to enjoy it at that point um but that is kind of a new place for beer to be um you know in a general broader sense especially with barrel aged beers thinking about this you know barely this modern era of barrel aging is you know maybe a decade old i mean certainly it goes back further than that with goose island but with the contemporary focus on barrel aging you know it was probably 20 12 2013 before bourbon barrel aging has really gained the kind of steam and momentum that it has now as a major category within craft beer um and so we're all still kind of <laughs> we're all still kind of figuring out what this is going to look like um how does that yeah. impact you know uh, you know future uh, plans for you all do you have more plans to bottle and sit on beers and or save a portion of beers and, uh, you know, potentially release those in different ways with different kinds of age statements or whatnot
1: um, to provide different
0: <laughs> drinking experiences.
1: Um, we've been doing a little bit of that, but it's not really a conscious thing. I think, I think the variant, um, uh, coming up with different variants and Thor and our team has really led the way. He's a trained chef. And so he can come up with some amazing ideas, and I, I think we've said before that my my wife says I got a good palate because I grew up on boiled vegetables, and <laughs> this, and it is true, it is true. My parents don't deny it, although they cringe when I say it. But um, so um, he he um really does uh come up with some some amazing ideas, and um, I think we'll we we've found that those are kind those are a fun position to be in, like with the chocolate box series, so like. Um, with that, it's um, uh, you know taking a a British sort of style of, cho- of a box of chocolates and all the different flavors in that and recreating those but using a barrel aged base uh, bourbon barrel age uh, beer base, um, which is which is a fun thing to do. I mean, looking at that, it would be nice to make smaller bottles and actually having a box of. Different chocolates in in quotation marks, um, but that's a that's another project altogether.
0: <laughs> sure, sure. Um, I know it's hard to say at this point. You know, there's certainly there's the the you know barrel variation that can create a a variant aspect to it, um, but then, uh, you know, how do I mean, are you building different beers for some of these different barrel expressions. Um, at this point in that barrel aging process, are you simply using a similar base beer to find how the beer changes based on, you know, different barrels or different treatments, different adjunct treatments after that aging process? Um, what is that piece of building this variant, uh, you know, uh, portrait look like?
1: We have a couple of bases that we then uh so we have our burn barrel our imperial stout base and then with the, the barley wine three rise men base um we're working on some other bases but what we do within that is like i said we we have different batches that go in in different ways so when we're doing our initial blend for the base the base beer sort of the um, the main release of each style that's that then is going to that's our focus right what do we need to recreate that to be consistent with prior years and then okay then what have we got got um to play with and then when we start looking at that then we uh so you talked about the apple brandy well that had already we had apple brandy barrels so that went in 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 those um so we would maybe look at ones that have a little bit more terminal gravity, because they're going to get another barrel treatment and dry out a little bit more, right? So you have, um, there's, there's elements within the population that you have to sort of be thinking about, but we don't create different beers specifically for the barrels. You have to play with the population and there's enough diversity in, in that because just, just geography, just positions within our, 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 our cellar will change the way that the beer takes up the barrel. and. And thins it out, and the temperature, etc.
0: I'm curious about this from a a sales perspective. Um, You know, is the growth of interest in variance relative to base beer a, a function of? A smaller number of customers wanting more breadth within that entire category versus, you know, rather than the entire category of buyer growing, um, you know, they would, and I'm wondering about that, you know, do you find, uh, and uh, in the data, you may not have immediate access to be able to track that, but is it, are there, is it, is there a growing number of consumers for barrel aged beers? or has that consumer base stayed relatively static and the same consumers are buying all the variants rather than buying more bottles of a base beer, you know, is it a way to kind of make that category broader, more attractive to the same core base of customers, um, you know, or do you see the kind of variant approach, drawing new people, new buyers into, um, you know, this category that may not have been there before, who are intrigued by the kind of, you know, touchstone flavor approach of familiar things, um, that, you know, like candies and chocolate box and whatnot, that, uh, that, that sound like they're going to taste delicious. Um, you know, how is that working? I'm, I'm, I'm curious about that. If you uh, have any insight into it.
1: Yeah, I think, I think for, some of these specialty type styles like barrel-aged beers, there's a finite population that are are really focused on that. Um, So looking at this year as a whole, um, one thing that came to me and it's, uh, people talk about this a lot, but I never really understood it about uh, beer is drank it during occasions, right? I mean, we've heard that phrase all the time. It's like drinking occasions. And it's like, well, that to me just sounds like really big beer um, talking in marketing speak. <laughs> but, uh, right. and, but now like this year is kind of interesting because the, you know, the social aspect of drinking in the tap room has gone, that occasion has gone. And it hasn't just been replaced by people getting six packs in in their grocery store because six packs are up what is that uh, 13% or something this year but um, draft sales are down 100 almost 100%, right? So that, that and we know draft sales make up 20 to 30%, 30% for craft breweries. So we know that we we we're, we're losing out overall. So when, I'm, when I when when you ask me that question about people is it bringing people into the category these variants? I I would say are, are there occasions being created where people can maybe be introduced to them and like when you're looking at things like the chocolate box series that we do i think totally that that's kind of these beers are for sharing right which makes it even more hard this year to 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 have their place in society if you like but um i think if you if you introduce somebody to a baharat chocolate box for example that we did that was was crazy good and um uh that maybe they're more likely to try the imperial stout when it comes out and you've brought somebody into the craft category um you know i i i strongly believe we need to be working really hard to bring people into the category um we we're, we're being splintered quite a lot um in terms of non-craft breweries calling themselves craft and uh you know i'm i'm on one of the ba committees and and i i, I feel that um we as a as a craft industry at are gonna gonna struggle if people don't even know who craft who a craft brewery is what what they even are anymore and uh you know that's something that i think uh we as a as an industry need to be really focused on in this next the next few years Mm -hmm. but the way we can do that is by bringing more people into the category by giving them more Occasions. I need to think of a better word to <laughs> call it than that because it sounds awful. Right, but, um, right. But uh, yeah, it's uh,
0: no. I agree sad. with you. And from you know, for all of the kind of whinging from you know older, curmudgeonly brewers about all the ingredients that everyone has to now throw into craft beer in order <laughs> to sell it, um, there is something that is populist and understandable about the kind of um, avenue in that it gives um uh, just general, non-hardcore, you know, craft beer drinkers, you know, that it, that kind of familiarity and that understanding of these flavors, that kind of draw of the idea of these things that people understand, you know, whether it's breakfast cereal, which, you know, that's a whole nother matter, um, <laughs> or, or whether it's, you know, heavily fruited beers, you know, people understand those flavors. And so, um, it doesn't feel as impenetrable you know and you know for americans you know something like drinking a flat and warm british mild it feels weird you know it doesn't feel like a normal experience their normal experience of beer is yellow and effervescent and thin and bright um and a little bit just a little bit bitter you know and so you know these other kinds of beer styles and something like an imperial stout that is big and bold and has a strong bitter component um You know that can feel very intimidating whereas throwing a chocolate box kind of approach to it and nutty you know nut elements to it and other kinds of uh, you know flavors that people understand and, and kicking up a bit of sweetness in there helps soften the approach and can certainly help people understand that these beers are more than just what their intimidating mental picture of them is. You know, if it, uh, if that makes them more palatable and, uh, you know, I think that the other piece that gets lost in this too, is that these are beers that draw people in, but people who are inclined towards craft beer, love the exploration. And mm-hmm. if you can set them forward with one or two steps in this direction, a certain percentage of them are going to keep, walking down that direction and will find some of the more difficult, um, and more, uh, uh, harder to get into, uh, product categories, the, br- those beers that brewers love to make, you know, um, because they are that epitome of brewing. Um, mm-hmm. but if you don't start people down some path towards that then a, a larger number of people were never going to get there. Um, and so, you know, these are these are little gateway drugs that you guys are, uh, are making to, <laughs> to help, uh, you know, help draw people into some
1: of these other categories. <laughs> but, you know, um, so just a couple of things I, I thought about there is is uh, this year, our pumpkin beer, we've, we've kept with the same pumpkin beer every year but we've just been brewing less of it because it's less popular, right? But right. this this year it was really popular and sold out super quick. Um, and we also do a, a Ruben Claus beer, which is a a chocolate peppermint porter that sold out super quick. So like people, I think it might, people might be wanting to experiment like that. And then, you know, this is an argument for seltzers, right? That seltzers are maybe a way that we're going to bring people into the industry um if they're done if they're done in the right way i would uh, caveat that but, uh, you know some of them are so artificially flavored it's it's pretty horrendous and um but you know that that might be a way that if somebody has a seltzer maybe then they'll have a fruited sour and then maybe then they'll come into a a, a, a hazy ipa or something you know so
0: you know, from a
1: I I 100% agree with
0: you there, that I think that, um, you know, the the backlash against seltzer is definitely overplayed, and that I would much rather this be a product that craft brewers are behind and pushing out there, building familiarity with their their brands and their craft approach to making these products. Um, the alternative, uh, you know, that we've seen in the past of those products being you know, wine coolers and being attached to other beverage categories, you know, if that category was sp- the spirits world, and, uh, you know, these, you know, canned cocktails became the thing, then, you know, th- those are gateways to other beverage sectors that are not craft brewers. And, um, you know, that doesn't necessarily, you know, so much of craft beer is also now built around that experience of the place and having that kind of product in a taproom environment where people can come and enjoy and different kinds of people that like to drink different things can all come and enjoy that tap taproom you know you know beer hall kind of experience i think it's an important piece of this you know that that's that's the kind of community that people seek through craft beer and so having that piece out there having it be attached to craft beer and not another beverage manufacturing sector um just being selfish being a a proponent for craft brewers You know, I, uh, I do firmly believe in that. Um, one thing we haven't talked about is triple crush in a significant way. And and I definitely want to do that before, uh, before we jump out of here, before we do that, craft beer and brewing's all access subscriptions are a great belated gift for that brewer you love. Even if that brewer you love is yourself, go to beer and click on the subscribe button to join now. Also on the pro brewing side, we are excited to announce all access subscriptions to our brewing industry guide and brewing Com, which occasionally features articles from Adam, we're talking to right (laughs) now, with new and exclusive content from writers like Stan Hieronymus, Kate Burnett, Ben Keen, and our own staff. This all-access subscription gives you access to insight into ingredients, processes, equipment, trends, strategies, and more it'll help you run a more effective brewing business with the all access subscription you can also purchase all access beer reviews if you're tired of entering contests but not getting useful feedback this program guarantees that our blind panel will review your beer score it and provide you with notes uh, learn more at, at brewing industry slash subscription so yeah, let's talk about Triple Crush for a little bit, Adam. And I can uh, I can tell you're pulling up the notes on uh,
1: on how to brew <laughs> right now. If uh, I can find them. <laughs> <laughs> that, that that's a kind of an interesting beer because um, we've we have three different breweries, and so we've had to brew it on each one of the breweries. So I've had to scale it from a five barrel batch to a to a thirty barrel batch. So how
0: uh, how. D- what does that scaling process look like? I'm curious, you know, you know, you especially when you're talking, talking about uh, a big beer, a 10% uh, beer with, uh, with so many, so much hops in it.
1: Yeah. Um, with, with something like triple crush, it's relatively easy because, um, there's an art and a science element to scaling. So you scale everything kind of, uh, well, certain elements of the more profile scale proportionally. So, um, whether that be caramel malt or flake malt, um, that aren't impacted by your conversion um, efficiency of the brew house, and then the 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 malt elements uh, elements in the malt grist the grist profile that are impacted by the efficiency uh, of of your brew house uh, get have to be accommodated for. So. You scale everything proportionally and then reduce down essentially the base malt by the efficiency increase of that brew house, right? And then you sit back and look at look at the scaling and like, well, does that still make sense? Because essentially, that if the base has gone down a lot relatively, or your specialty um, has gone up a lot, and um, if you especially if you getting a flavor profile from the base malt that is important to you, you've essentially reduced that down. So. Even though you've done something scientifically correctly, like the art of it is going to be out of balance. So something like Triple Crush, where you're looking at having a malt profile that's a backbone to let the hops sort of do play on, um, play off of, it's not as important a an issue as something like a porter, for example, which is. Um, you're going to get flavor profile from the Marisotto base. You're going to get flavor profile from all the specialty. And the whole percentages are going to totally change on, on that process. And interestingly, though, like the, our porter, is, I, I scaled from a homebrew batch, from a five-gallon homebrew batch um, to a 170-gallon uh, five-barrel batch, which um, that's a 30-time scaling, right? So then going from a five barrel to fifteen that's just three that's nothing <laughs> <laughs> so the hardest one is actually the first one when you have the least the least experience of all of this stuff um, but we 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 managed to do it okay but going on to triple crush yeah the 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 um sort of malt profile again is is uh a backbone right so we're gonna we're gonna start and and like i said earlier we we kind of base this off of um the uh the, the 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 double crush sort of recipe because i i like where the malt profile sits with that so to juice that up we we sort of increase the OG through primarily um uh, sugar on to, on top of that just to also help maintain that balance in the finish and uh, the, the other key thing with triple crush is, is just knowing um so that so then you're going to get the more profile in the right place right um the other the other important piece is obviously the hops that's 100 percent citra um tri- triple crush so then it's all about um, hard to go wrong with that yeah it's our it's our citrus selection so we tend to err on the less dank the more fruit forward side so like essentially the younger harvest uh uh side so that that's 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 true with all of our beers um um all of our hops that we select for we always tend to go lighter f- fruitier um and that works really well when you're going to really lean into that hop right um or it works really well in a hazy IPA but what one thing that we've been finding this year is that it can it can be a little uh what's the word a little, a little too soft um if you're using it in west coast using that huh. sort of Hot profile in a West Coast IPA, and uh, that little bit of dankness that would come from a slightly later harvest gives a little bit more punch, right? Which um, works a little bit better in a in a West Coast, but in a in a uh, East East Coast, a hazy IPA. It's it's it. It would be a little bit out of profile, so it's kind of interesting how our mindset has changed over time. So, w- what we're doing now—accomplishing now... that by blending
0: uh, some other hops in with Citra, then in those West Coast IPAs to add that character.
1: Yeah. So, so we've been been playing on those blends, and and um, we're finding just a teeny bit of uh, Columbus is like gives you that sort of dank punch to elevate the whole the whole thing. Um, when we when we're when we're working with hop profiles. We cheat, um, and people at home could do could do this as well, but we cheat by uh, essentially creating a blend of single hop varietals that we've dry hopped just in growlers. Um, obviously, you have to make sure that beer is fermented. Otherwise, you've got growler bombs sitting right. around, right? But we sort of dry hop for a couple of days in growlers and then, and then pour that through just a, a bag strainer into different pints and then work on the blend. And... What I what I found was rubbing never really gives you a true, a true um, expression of a certain hop. It gives you an idea. We we missed on, on one a, a few years ago, and and it kind of upset me. So we do it this way now. Every single beer with every new new hop, every new varietal, and and we're working on some um, new new beers, and that's the way we'll do it. We'll create this blend in a small batch. So. For You say
0: for each new crop year, you're doing this then? Yep.
1: Yep. Okay. And and, and each new beer as well.
0: Do, so every new beer, every new crop year, you're doing your own bench testing, growler by growler, adding dry hops with a new one to see how it... Uh, Impacts, yeah. and so you're you're pulling some of that uh, ferment uh, word off before dry hopping in order to do that with. Yes, yeah, so a green beer.
1: Yeah, post okay. post fermentation before something's going in for 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 a dry hop itself, right? So we'll pull some of that that green beer off. And um, when we do selection though, we we don't have enough time to do this, so. But we've done selection now so many years, we've got pretty detailed notes, like what we're looking for for each hop. um, So we can get pretty consistent. So it's just making sure that we haven't missed something or there's a new profile, new element of that profile coming through in the beer. And that's kind of important to us consistency
0: no? no that's a that's a fun process to to kind of work through that um and and i love the idea of of pitching a little bit of columbus with uh with citra um you're not the only brewer that i've talked to no, no, that, no. Uh, that loves that kind of columbus you know, citra to mix that there's a little bit of old school familiarity to the columbus along with that new school fruit character that just seems to make it, um, on that West coast side, what are those, what are those kind of how much Columbus to Citra? What's your ratio look like typically to, to make the Citra pop a little bit more?
1: Yeah. It's, it's really, really Just low small amounts, yeah. really small. Um, I don't have the numbers on in, in, in the top of my head, but you're talking maybe at most 2% of the dry yeah. hop, like not, not too much, but it's, I, th- I, I, I look at it as that it's balancing out our selection rather, you know, so like we could, have selected we could select in a different way but then it's always easier to build things up from a lower base where it's a water profile or whatever right and and a flavor profile is the same way um so we've got a lot of different different options to play with um but that's that's kind of where we're at with with west coasts right right now uh,
0: yeah no and there's definitely a benefit i think for having one type of citra um that you know how it works uh, in varying kinds of, uh, uh, areas and can simply augment it with other things where you need to, rather than having two different selected citras in your, uh, your hops library. And, you know, yeah. from a production standpoint, I guess, it, you know, if something takes off, you can, uh, you know, <laughs> you can use the can same balance. citra in different ways. Um, yeah. you know, you can always add some spice to your fruity citra. It's hard to undank a, a dank yes. citra.
1: exactly yeah yeah exactly
0: um in terms of triple crush one of the things i love about it is just the kind of um uh simplicity uh to the that you know base of the beer itself that it is just sweet enough to to you know highlight that citra character um without overpowering and becoming you know, just a, a, a giant cloying sweet bomb of a beer, um, it hits that real golden mean where it um where it amplifies that hops character without becoming too heavy. Um, you know, from a from an overall standpoint, is there, you know, some secret to the your base malt that you use in that? Um, are there some any specifics to the the uh you know, kinda uh, body building elements, you know, whether it's wheat, uh, uh, or oats or some other element that, uh, you know, that helps you kind of tow that perfect line.
1: Yeah. Um, the, in terms of the, the, in terms of the overall more profile, it's again about layers, right? So we essentially cut, um, like vitamin pills. So like a very, um, expressive, german pills and malt with with north american pills just to sort of let the hop still have a backbone to play on but give again give it some uh, complexity in there but that doesn't really help 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 the dryness I, I i would i i would say um with all all beers you need to start at the end and work back from there so what what do you want the terminal gravity of this beer to be and then how do you how do you get there so with with um this one, again, it's all about, with big beers, it's predominantly about yeast health and knowing your attenuation rates and um, really being focused on how do you hit that terminal gravity that you're looking to hit. Um, and so for us on this beer, it's around like 10, 15. Um, with this beer, and I think I talked about it in, in the article, um, we've also done some analysis, some lab analysis on the, um, the isomerization of dry hopping. So again, working backwards, what IBUs do you want the final beer to be? And how much are you gonna get from the dry hop? So how much do you have to get hot side? Um, so that's an important part of the balance here because you could get that, if you get that fundamentally off, you're gonna be in, in, in trouble um, in terms of the finish. And then the other piece is, you still need an element of sweetness, but not too much, as you said. So we, we use honey malt in a lot of hazy IPAs to give some of that balance, but not that caramel extreme. It's like a nice lighter, uh sweetness uh not sticky sweetness that's kind of right. what what we play with and it's just a sprinkling i mean i'm I'm talking about you know maybe one one percent or less uh, just to, just a little uh, just to help out that that finish in the palate just to sort of round it off.
0: Yeah, just to make it a little more difficult for your you know production brew staff to have to add <laughs> tiny little amounts. Yeah. Yeah. You need to ask them next time. Yeah,
1: yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. A lot, of, a lot of that is kind of interesting because it comes from the scaling, right? So like when when we were maybe on the on the first brew house, um, it may have not been so obviously extreme, but when we've scaled up and. And it's now a lot bigger numbers, and we've been playing with the balance a little bit more at a bigger, bigger, bigger scale. It looks a lot smaller, I think. You know, that's what yeah. I'll say. But <laughs> <laughs> you can get them on next time. <laughs> sure, sure. Well, let's, um,
0: you know, let's zoom out, uh, you know, before we close here and look at um, what the future, the short-term future, and then the long-term future looks like for Rubens. Um, you know, I love to ask that question of, you know, as we finish, uh, what does success look like for you? Um, for you and your wife, as you started the brewery, you had immediate goals, you know, I, you may be past those now and you may have had to recalibrate because certainly, you know, with three different breweries and the kind of growth that you've experienced from the quality of the beer that you all make, you know, the success has been there. Um, what, uh, you know, at this point in time, what is, what is, the you know the next 5 10 years look like for rubens and what uh you know when will you know that you've achieved the success that you were shooting for
1: well that's a big one so um when we started back in 2012 we had no plans right so like the only plan we had was uh the amount of money we had to build the brewery so we didn't go bust that was kind of kind of it <laughs> um, right right so it it was like i actually regressed away from my day job which was long-term planning for a big company and it's like i don't want to do that for us so let's just concentrate on the beer and and now it's about uh creating a sustainable organization and and recognizing um we, we we've got to this size now we need to sit back and say right what do we what do we really want as the organization as a whole right so for our team for our customers for the community and um we uh, working on a lot of things. So this year we announced out, um, we're setting up a, a charitable foundation to give back in in ways um, that we, we want to do in an efficient way. Um, we've been working on a lot of things with the team. Like through all of this, we haven't um, furloughed any staff. We've kept all of our team intact. We've offered certain programs because we were finding that it was partners in our team were maybe losing their jobs and that was putting them under stress. So we offered advanced programs to give them loans if they needed any any anything to help them get through through this. So um, we're doing a lot of work right now in terms of trying to define we know we know what we want to, to be. How does that um get actualized. Like what does the foundation, at what programs does the foundation do? And we've got some uh, announcements to come on that. What does the team want from us? How do we um, give him more security to the team and, and create a long-term place that people want to be um, for, for the long-term? Uh, what do we need from an organizational perspective um, to be successful in the long-term? Um, we uh, I, I still do all of the finance. Um, side. So we have nobody in the team that does any of the finance pieces. I run the brewery and um, I have a head brewer now who's awesome, James, but I still do a lot of the recipe development and, and um, iterations on that side. So I'm getting stretched pretty thin. So like what do we actually need in the long term to be successful for everybody in the team? So it's a lot of right now this year in particular, has given us a good reason to be introspective and like what do we really want as a organization to achieve and then I think next year is about going out and, and achieving a lot of that um I mentioned earlier about craft as a whole and and that that is kind of important to us like one of our um our key reasons of being is is to promote craft as a whole whether that's in beer whether that's um we had um up until just recently because of the winter she stopped, but we had a, a local flower vendor because she, she lost her local, her, 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 um, the market was closed down. Right. right so, right. so she, she came every week, um, to, to, to sell flowers. We've, we're working on, on coffee, uh, blends. Um, so we're gonna, um, I, I, I love coffee. So we've been working on, on, on coffee. Um, I I um, I enjoy speaking to a crafts people of everything every, every sort of style um or every sort of product so like we we have our own little podcast and I spoke to um somebody uh who's a local uh, baker on on that and it was really interesting because my dad is actually was a baker and I grew up for first 8 years of my life living on a bakery right um so I I was used to the smell of the bread and it sort of brought me back back to home so I think for us, um, success is about promoting craft in all of its ways um, through and we can do that primarily through beer, right um, and also supporting the community that supports us and supporting our team. So creating something that's going to be really um, around for a long time for the long term and, and doing the right things. So um, and we, we're on a path to do that, and I'm looking forward to announcing some fun stuff in the, in the near future on all of those things.
0: Well, keep us posted and I can't wait to, okay. to see what you're going to roll out. Uh, you know, it is a, I think a fun thing to talk to brewers, you know, this year and find that the businesses are all maturing, that it is as exciting for most to f- figure out how to make their ongoing businesses more sustainable, both for themselves, for the staff Making them good places to work. Most of the people that are involved in craft beer now on the business side care about, you know, at least those on the more successful breweries. You can tell that the care about creating an institution that uh, matters to their staff and to their customers and to the business, like fitting to the broader world of, of craft beer, hitting all of those multiple bottom lines matters. Hmm. And I think that businesses that focus on all of those things generally speaking tend to be more successful because they're looking at all of those things but it's a nice piece of maturity to find us all figuring out how we take care of people you know and um and that's staff, that's customers, that's the broader world of craft and all of those things together. So yeah. I know it's something we're doing, you know, and, uh, and it's a weird, you know, you get to a point in your life where I get really excited that we're able to increase our retirement match for our staff,
1: yeah. um, you know, and uh, awesome. uh, cover,
0: you know, we've, we've been able this year to cover 100% of their healthcare premiums. And those are those nice pieces where, um, you know, that everyone along the way is Benefiting from the growth and the success of this business is, is how it should be. So, yes. um, yeah. thanks for chatting with me on the podcast. Well, thanks for having Dan, me. That's Adam. great. Yeah. GD Chillers is the premier choice for your glycol chilling needs. Set your compass by RAR North Star Pills from BSG. Quantiperm's innovative systems offer precise carbonation. Sign up now to stay in the know for future ABS commercial giveaways and subscribe now to Craft Beer and Brewing and the Brewing Industry Guide to support this very podcast. Uh, Adam, if people want to learn more about uh, Rubens Brews, where do they find you guys in real life uh, and on the internet?
1: Yeah, so uh, just RubensBrews.com is the best place uh, to go to. And we're in uh, the Ballard neighborhood of Seattle, Washington. Um, yeah, so R-E-U-B-E-N-S brews.com we uh named the brewery after our son and we didn't think about how hard that would be to spell when it came to naming a brewery after it but uh, that's i'm sure we covered that in the first one <laughs> the, the first podcast
0: indeed well it's always a pleasure to just listen to your dulcet voice um, you know talk about <laughs> brewing it's been uh been fun to talk to you on this one happy new year to everybody listening happy new year to you adam uh in this final episode of 2020 um Cheers to a much better 2021 for
1: everyone around the world. Cheers and thanks again, Jamie. Yeah, cheers.
0: This podcast is brought to you by craft Beer and Brewing magazine for those that love to make and drink great beer. Learn more online or subscribe at beerandbrewing.com or find us on social media at craftbeerbrew. Beer Brew.